This reading, this whole chapter is about unity. And it goes on and on about it. If you read the whole thing, the whole of John chapter 17, it gets like it's going around and around in circles, saying the same thing over and over again in slightly different ways. Jesus' desire that we be one is repeated four times, along with all of the other things that go over and over. And it's not just a question of, wouldn't it be great if we all felt like we we liked each other and that we got on? This is, remember, what we're reading here comes at the very end of Jesus' ministry. This is the most crucial time in his life and the life of his followers. They're under immediate threat of arrest and annihilation. So this is not just some sort of religious or theological question for this group. And it's not for us either. We call ourselves the Uniting Church and we know if we're willing to tell each other the truth that we're split right down the middle. We're in desperate straits. We say uniting because we want that to be true, but it's not our experience. We're split down the middle on an issue that some of us aren't even sure is an issue. And yet we can't seem to manage it. It's a crucial question for our community too, because we are, as we know from the recent election, the old days seem to have disappeared for us. We're in a new electoral landscape, as all the commentators keep telling us over and over again. And we're split in families on issues as strange as a vaccine. You think back only a few years ago when we felt the the great joy of being able to be vaccinated against diseases that have crippled the world for centuries. And how extraordinary it's been. And yet here we are in the middle of another problem that can be fixed by a vaccine and yet we're in dispute with each other about it, sometimes even in our own families. We don't watch the same television shows, we don't read the same news anymore. There's a, a recent commentator said, you can tell how old a person is if, if, without seeing them if they tell you how they get their news. If they watch the news at night at 6.30 or 7 o'clock, they're in an older demographic. Everyone else is doing all kinds of different things. Some people, younger people, are getting their news on TikTok. If they're a little bit older, they might be getting their news on Facebook. And if they're a little bit older again, they might be getting all their news on email. We're quite dissipated. So the idea of, is there such a thing as unity and what does it look like, is far more than just an academic question. It's far more than a religious question. So what, what can we learn from this text about that? What can we learn from the last words of Jesus? Because in the ancient world, the last words of a person were highly prized. They were seen to be the most important things that person had to say. They summed up their life. And it was often seen that the, the particularly a person of note was sort of a bridge. They were halfway between the world that we know and the world that we don't know beyond death. And they, at the moment of their death, were kind of a bridge. And so what, they final, what their final words were, were vitally important. And there's some really significant words in this text that if we can play with them a bit and understand them, it might give us more ways into what is a very tightly woven set of words that you hear it and if you're not really paying attention, it all just becomes sort of too much to 
grasp. The first word of real importance is the word world. And it's a word that John's gospel uses far more than all the other three gospels use. Now we often speak of the world as if there's two groups of people. There's the church and the world. We're in here and they, whoever they are, are out there. And, and they do weird things and we do good things. Because we do lots of weird things too. But once you do them often enough, they don't seem weird, do they? Do they? Yeah. yeah. We just do. We, when we sing, we stand up. When we stop singing, we sit down. Does that ever strike you as weird? If it doesn't, that's because you've been doing it for a long time. Of course, you do sing better when you're standing up. If you're in a choir, you, you know, but we do lots of strange things. But the idea that there's a world and then there's a church and that we're against each other and that there's something going on that we need to keep ourselves free from the world, that there's some of this in the, in the New Testament, so it can't be completely dismissed. But the way John uses the word world is simply the word cosmos. It's everything. Everything that exists. There are a couple of times, particularly the first part of this uh, uh, chapter, where John seems to use the word to represent a group of people who are actively working against Jesus, the chief priests and their acolytes and uh, who were working with the Romans, actively against Jesus. And as, as it says in John in a couple of places, they looked up for ways that they could arrest him and put him to death. And of course, they succeeded. But it's the world is everything. That's how it's mostly spoken of in John. And so Jesus' project is not about getting people to join a club or a group. It's that the whole cosmos might understand the reality of the way the world is. That according to Jesus, we are already, and the way John uses this language is the way we sang it, we are one. We are already one. That is just the absolute ordinary structure of the universe. It just is. We're already whole as one organism, one gathered community, one part of the earth. We're just one. This is, of course, what indigenous people have been trying to teach us since we got here and started screwing with the land. It's an absurdity to indigenous people that we see ourselves as separate from what indigenous people call in our language, country. It doesn't make any sense to indigenous people. They scratch their heads and look at us like we're lunatics. And given what we've done to the land, how much we've destroyed whole sections of it, it turns out they're right. It's inconceivable to indigenous teachers and, and leaders that, there, that we would even imagine that there's something different. It's like as if they'd come across a group of people who were covered in cuts and bruises, who have refused to accept the reality of gravity. I don't know why I'm so bruised and cut and, and I'm beaten up all the time, but we've refused to accept that this is the way of the world. We would, be, we would look at that group of people as if they're insane. It's gravity. And, and you've proved it's gravity because look at you, you're covered in cuts and bruises. That's how indigenous people must look at Westerners. We've completely misunderstood what it means to be human, what it means to be here in the cosmos. 
And of course there's another word in John's Gospel, and it's, the, it's a word used more times in John than it's used in all of the other Gospels combined, and it's the word know. To know in John's Gospel is to experience. It's not about when Jesus says that they might know that they're one. It's not some sort of head knowledge. It's not giving assent to a creed or to a set of rules or regulations. And this is one of the things that we've done in the church. We've asked people to accept at an intellectual level a whole whole number of things that we wanted them to believe. We want people to accept um, all kinds of things and, and sort of tick them off and promise to believe them. But we frequently don't invite people to experience, which is what John is on about all the way through this gospel. To know is to experience. It's not something to be learnt. In fact, if there's anything that the mystics of the church have told us, there's a lot more to unlearn than there is to learn. That knowing is deeply experiencing. Where Jesus is inviting us in this last prayer to know, to experience, to be a part of, to have the essence of what it means to be one, a part of who we are, just in us all the time. There's a great 14th century German mystic who's informed a lot of the work of people who do meditation and contemplation in the church, in all areas of the church, uh, for a long time, particularly in the later part of the 20th century, when his work was kind of revived. His name was Meister Eckhart. And there's two things he said that should mess with your head. They're designed that way. God is not attained by a process of addition to anything in the soul, but by a process of subtraction. God is not attained by a process of addition to anything in the soul, but by a process of of, of subtraction. And one of his most famous sayings is, if you comprehend God, it's not God. If you comprehend God, it's not God. Can you see why if you were to say those things to yourself and think about them, you would end up being a mystic yourself because what it makes you do is stop talking. Start thinking differently. It opens you up. That's what knowing is in John's Gospel. It's to deeply experience the oneness. And then there's one other word I want to have a look at and that's the word glory and we had it in a number of our songs today we have it all the time through the scriptures it's a strange word it, it, it's a bit of a word of kind of embarrassment to me the way we use it because we constantly going on about glorifying God and God and, and in, it says early in, the, in this chapter if you go back to read it Jesus asks God to glorify him and he glorifies God and then he wants to Jesus wants to give his glory to us And it sort of sounds like people are sort of big-noting themselves, doesn't it? It's like, why does God need to be constantly told how extraordinary God is? Doesn't God know? And how do we need, why do we need to tell Jesus he's so glorious? But glory was a a key concept all the way through the ancient world and uh, so therefore it appears a lot in the Bible and a lot in, in what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. 
It's what ancient kings received when they came back from conquering another nation and they came back with slaves in tow and with riches and all the things they'd managed to steal. It was revealing their reputation. It was truth-telling. So glory is another word for truth-telling. It's another word for revealing what, it, what, is, what is real. See, look, here's the king, and look, here's what's, what he's brought back. This is the reality. This is how good this king is. He's done all of these things. It's revealing or um, acknowledging a person's reputation. It's what we would call, in our terminology, authenticity, which is something we're desperate for, isn't it? We want authentic bread. We don't want that rubbish they sell in the supermarket. We want authentic bread and we're willing to pay for it. We want authentic experiences. We don't just want to go to Paris. We want to go to Paris with a French person who will show us the real Paris. We want an authentic experience. Authenticity is, of course it's a selling point for all kinds of things, whether it's bread or travel or any other experience. But of course, it's a selling point because it's what we hunger for. We hunger for something that is real and authentic. It's what we banged on about during the election campaign to each other. Tell us something true. Be authentic with us. That's what we're looking for all the time. And so glory is about authenticity. It's about reality. It's about the way things really are. Something that we long for in our culture all the time. My glory that you have given me, Jesus said, I give to them. My authenticity, what makes me the authentic, true me, you have given me. It comes from the universe. It comes from God. It comes from being one. And I have imparted that to them, to us. And they now know they are one. They now know, Jesus says, they now authentically experience their oneness, their, to use a technical term, their ontological oneness, their essential grassroots, a sense of, of the actual reality of their lives. So unity is not about agreement, because we can't agree. In the Uniting Church, we can't much agree on one big divide and many other things. It's not easy. It's not about towing the line. It's about having our eyes opened to the essential unity of all that is. What indigenous people have been trying to teach us for 200 years and what they continue in graciousness to do with even though we're really dumb and we don't get it and we want to jump to the end without going through the process. We want to jump to the conclusion without understanding what's going on. All those things that we do all the time. And we can live as if it's not true that we radically, deeply are one. And our experience of the way we've used the land, even though indigenous people have tried to teach us differently, is evidence of what that happens. But we do it in ourselves too, don't we? That experience of my isolation from everyone else. No one else has the kind of pain that I've got. No one else has had the sort of experience that I've had. No one else is like me and so therefore I'm isolated. Or worse, as we've done with refugee and asylum seekers in this country, they're, they're very different to us. 
They must have different experiences. They can't feel like we feel. They can't have family relationships like we have. They must be different. So they must be treated differently and kept out of Australian culture and society. We can live like that and it alienates us. It disappoints us. And we live nice with each other. Sure, we're, but we're all Anglo-Saxons, most of us here, aren't we? We've learned to be good, nice, kind people. We dress relatively okay. Yeah, we can be as lonely as it's possible to be because we don't experience the profound truth of our oneness. And when we do, we live in wonder. How extraordinary is it? And how grateful we can be. This is why I said earlier, so many of the mystics and the meditation communities within all of our denominations spend so much time in silence. Because that's the great response. Meditating on our oneness. God is not attained by a process of addition to anything in the soul, but by a process of subtraction. Letting it go. Letting it go. And letting the oneness, the true nature of who we are as individuals and as community and as part of the earth, grow up in us. Let it change us. And who knows what can happen.